Well, it's been a bizarre week to say the least uh, as Toronto FC kicked off their MLS's back tournament. We'll break it all down today on Waking the Red Weekly presented by Footy Talks Live every Tuesday here on Footy Talks Facebook, simulcast on Waking the Red. And of course, in the Zoom chat as well, you can join us or you can ask questions and interact with us as hosts. My name is Mitchell Tierney, editor of Waking the Red. Um, and in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Toronto FC digital host Maria Papadakis. Uh, ask her a bunch of questions about, you know, all things Toronto FC related. But first, guys, um, we'll we'll start with Jeffrey. It's, it seems to be Onyx week. Uh, I, I know you've been waiting to wear this kit on the show for a while. How are you doing? It's necessary. It's a necessary evil. We need Onyx power for uh, for game <laughs> two. Um, guys, I don't. I you know, I'm sure Mike's got thoughts on this, but I don't really get why it was a thing that TFC didn't leave the hotel when DC United did and, uh, you know, all the machinations behind that. Mike, Mike was saying before we started that uh, it appears that uh, TFC's got a, got a bullseye on them with respect to the, to the, to the shifting moral codes of the, of the uh, Mickey Mouse tournament bubble. But uh, I just don't get it. Like, it just, it just seems like such a weird hill to die on. Hey, uh, yeah, I guess, first of all, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining oh, yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, where's your manners, Jeff? Come <laughs> on. No consideration. No, but, yeah, we were talking a little bit earlier. It seems like a lot of teams in the around the MLS's back tournament kind of aren't happy with TFC because they've sort of, I don't want to say bending the rules, but they're they're using everything they can to kind of get an advantage, whether that is going to the field late, whether that's maybe traveling to the MLS's back tournament late. Um, so a lot of teams are kind of unhappy about that because they think TFC is trying to get this competitive edge. Uh, as Michael Bradley pointed out, that like we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, this isn't mm-hmm. about necessarily <laughs> like winning your first MLS's back match. This is about people's livelihoods and people's safety. So I think... TFC were kind of unhappy there after the whistle that DC United maybe said something, um, especially, you know, since they were kind of unhappy and used that as motivation to go at TFC because they felt TFC kind of had a leg up on them. So um, interesting, interesting to say the least, that little skirmish after. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think certainly um, in terms of, you know, what Toronto FC has done so far, you know, you can look at it different ways. But for me, I, I think you have to give every credit to the club because I think it's been pretty clear that they care a great deal about the safety of their players. I know a lot of people would say they shouldn't have come to this tournament at all. And I can understand that point considering um, certainly, you know, the, all the positive tests we've seen so far and some of the safety concerns. But, you know, if you're going to go to the tournament like Toronto FC did, I think in terms of keeping your players safe, they've done a pretty excellent job coming in late, making sure, you know, when when whoever it was was showing symptoms in Toronto, that they got their tests back, that everything was fine there. Once they get to the game and there's potential positives on DC, you know, they, they refuse to play the match. I, I think uh, they've done just about everything right in terms of keeping their players safe so far. And I think again, they, they deserve plenty of credit for that. And, you know, it's maybe going to rub some people the wrong way and you can look at it as trying to get an advantage or whatever. But um, again, like the pandemic, I think like, like Michael said, we're, you know, we're in a pandemic and, and, you know, we, we have to consider that first before anything else, Jeff, do you, you have a point on this? Well, I think it's important to also remember, remember that uh, Americans forget that we're Canadian and that crossing the border adds a, adds a wrinkle to it. Right. So you know, we, we can't be measured against the, the New York revolution in terms of arriving at the bubble. There are certain stipulations that are specific and exclusive to the Canadian teams 
that I think are, are, are being kind of swept under uh, to create this narrative of, you know, Toronto, the, the, the evil. But uh, that's just me. <laughs> hey, man, Toronto's always going to be the victim. <laughs> Come on. If, if we're talking soccer, we're talking baseball, we're talking hockey, yeah. whatever you want to say, basketball, like, Toronto's always going to be the victim in the league. So, True enough. hey, yeah. especially when we're good, te- teams don't like, like to, you know, give us a credit. So it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I like the uh, if, if we're going for an episode title, I think uh, Americans forget we're Canadian is pretty <laughs> pretty good uh, pretty good episode title, pretty good quote mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly a certainly a bizarre week in, in general. I mean, you know, you start with the game initially being delayed because Toronto FC gets in late. Uh, I guess what were your guys' thoughts when you wake up on Sunday morning and um, you know are, are looking? <laughs> both of you are. <laughs> you know, uh, covering your faces, but you wake up Sunday morning, uh, get the coffee in you in Jeff's case, and then realize that, you know, this game's not going to be played, even though, uh, you know, they were that close to to getting there. We'll start with you, Jeff. Two coffees. It was two coffees. So I was quite, (laughs) I was quite caffeinated and that did not bode well for my blood pressure when, when the uh, SH uh, asterisk T hit the fan. Um, Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, And, uh, you know, I, it was, it was impossible to snap out of like, uh, you know, we were, I, I was in a state of shock pretty much all day. And then of course, the, you know, my gunners, uh, played wonderfully well. So, so my Sunday was a complete, <laughs> complete write off. Absolutely. Oh, and the yellows marble run, uh, premiere got, got postponed as well. So I was, it was the trifecta of tears for me on Sunday. It's not a great Sunday, eh? No, no. Tell us about your, tell us about your Monday, though, Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> what I will say is, man, for Sunday, it, we were four months in the waiting. I was buzzing. Like, the night before, I got my pregame match thread up. You know, I was, I was up till, like, 2 a.m. Just I was hyped for the game. I was also watching UFC, but I was also hyped for the game. And then I wake up at 7.30 on, on the Sunday all ready to go tfc comes in you know tfc's on par they're they're dropping their lineup late everything's normal and then i get a like a minute before kickoff i get the official email the official press really one minute before kickoff one minute before nine o'clock i get an email from the league saying the match is officially postponed it's just i was devastated for a little bit (laughs) for sure i can say that but you know i'm happy that we bounced back on monday and you know things got underway yeah certainly and uh uh, as I said throughout the show, you can ask questions for us or our guest in, in the chat on the side. But uh, we will bring on Maria Papadakis right now. Um, she's in the waiting room, I think. So, um, yeah, we'll just wait for her to come on right now. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think I you know very much the same. It was uh, it was an interesting Sunday morning. Oh uh, yeah, Maria's here now. Um, hey, Hey, how's it going? Uh, joining us now, of course, Toronto FC digital host and in-stadium host as well. Uh, Maria Papadakis, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited and happy to be talking about the Reds once again, I'm sure. Well, it sounds like the audio is uh, cutting out a little bit there. Yeah. We'll see if we can, we can get that fixed. Um, Let's see. Oh, that sounds oh, there we go. Does that sound yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that sounds good. Yeah, the yeah. AirPods aren't working today. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, they're, they're pretty touch and go sometimes. But, oh, yeah, yeah. I've learned uh, my lesson. Oh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, no, thank you so much for joining us. And, um, you know, what, what a wild week it's been. We've, we've seen multiple schedule delays, um, you know, down to the last minute on Sunday. But 
we finally got to see Tron FC play yesterday and you know the, the bazaar didn't stop there for for 80 minutes it was an incredible performance from the Reds and then uh, kind of disappointing at the end what did you make of of their first game of the tournament you know what it's definitely an adjustment for every team you're going in there you're going to Orlando and during a pandemic you're playing in at 9 a.m., their pregame meals at like 5.30 in the morning. It's definitely an adjustment, but I think they, they tried to make the best out of it yesterday. I think the first half of the game uh, was was incredible. I think coming out there, you saw Pablo Piatti, Michael Bradley, two guys you haven't seen play and play in a long time. And I think everyone's chemistry was really, really good. And you could see that they have been working together. And I think Io had an incredible performance. You know, a lot of people online were skeptical about starting a young guy first game back after uh, so long. And I think he just proved everyone wrong yesterday. I thought the entire team did pretty well. Obviously not the result they wanted, but first game, a lot of adjustment and it's a lesson learned going forward. It's, it's still a point. Nice. Maria, I want to ask you, just building off that a bit, um, you probably know Io better than most fans do. What can you sort of tell TFC fans about Io Akinola? He's a young, determined soccer player. He he goes out there, he works, he's a great personality, he feeds off the team, he wants to go out there and learn off of everyone else. He takes criticism so well. I know he works really well with the other forwards and he just takes from what they've done and puts them into his own play, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for such a young guy to be where he's at today, it takes that determination. It takes that willingness to want to learn to be where he's at. I think he's in such a good thing. And going forward, I think he's, he's going to be one to watch as he gets older and older. Oh, right on. Right on. I'm excited to see what, uh, what he brings forward. And, you know, not only just Io, just a lot of the young guns that are up and coming through this team. I feel like this year in particular, TFC invested heavily into their youth. And we're starting to see that kind of manufacture itself on the field. So that's good to see. Um, Let's look ahead a little bit to Montreal there. And are we going to see a lot of these these young guys, do you think, on the field? I mean, you know what? I can never fully guess it. I, I got to say, Greg, <laughs> with the lineup. But I do think throughout this tournament, we are going to see a lot of those young guys come out. You saw it yesterday. Greg Vanny wants to change his roster throughout the game. He wants to change that lineup. He wants to get everybody on the field. And mm-hmm. I think... Being TFC, they love using their youth. They, they, they love using their youth, pardon uh, my English. They really wanted to get everybody minutes. They really want to develop those young players. So I think this tournament's a great way to do that. And I definitely think going forward, we're going to see guys like Jaquil, Rocco, Io, and more and more of them get more minutes. Nice, nice. Uh, this is the part in the rundown where I, uh, I go into a non sequitur, but uh, how has your job changed since, uh, since the pandemic hit? uh what you know it's it's all about keeping people engaged and involved from home so what are the challenges and what have been the victories it has definitely changed i can't lie filming red alert on your own is (laughs) definitely an adjustment we just got back to doing that and everything's over computers so basically as much as you have your producers that help you week by week you're basically doing everything here so you're on a lot of calls they're trying to tell you this is the angle I want, refix it or do this, do that. So it's a lot of back and forth and trying to mold your content for fans is the biggest challenge because mm-hmm. as much as everyone's on their computers and on their phones, you have to find something that you can do quickly that engages people, but it's also to what's relevant. And there is, but there isn't a lot of things that are relevant. It's only certain things. So you also try to find things that you don't repeat yourself over and over and over again. So it's definitely changed. I mean, it's gotten a lot busier since the MLS is back tournament has started, but just with everything on my end with, with other networks and TFC that I've been working with, it's, 
it's been busy, but it's been good. And it's been an adjustment. Yeah, and if you do have questions for Maria, again, use the chat or the, the Q&A um, to, to ask those. But I wanted to also look ahead to the Montreal game and, and kind of ask what lessons Toronto FC can learn from this. Because I think, you know, in a lot of ways, this tournament is about balancing rest and results, sort of. You, you know, I think kind of the way they approached that second half, um, in a lot of ways, I don't know if it was completely wrong because you don't want to burn out everyone um, in the first match of a tournament. But at the same time, you know, you do want to make sure you're, you're securing the results, especially when you're up like that. Um, what can they kind of learn from, from what went wrong there? I think Michael Bradley said it the best himself. I think in this tournament, even though you're up, you can't let yourself go a little bit. And I think that's what he said they did, you know, in the, in the second half, they kind of just took a little bit of a step back. And that's when that team maximized on those opportunities. And I think going forward into Montreal, it's obviously a huge rival of ours, even though we're on neutral turf, it doesn't mean the rivalry won't be there. So I think they're going to have to go out there and stay at their 110% the entire game. And I think that's a lesson learned from this game is don't let your guard down and just keep going until that, that final whistle blows. Uh, I, I guess I'll step in here. Uh, uh, so give us a bit of background. How did, how did Maria Papadakis end up as the social media host for Toronto FC? Yeah, well. <laughs> Tell everyone who wants your job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and what do we have to do? <laughs> I've been very fortunate. I, um, well, I went to school for sports media. I was at Ryerson for four years. And in my third year, I was looking for internships. I wasn't training that summer. I was like, you know what? I want to get my foot further into the door in this industry. And I was applying everywhere. And I had ended up actually getting an interview with TFC and their media relations team. So fast forward, I had gotten the internship and they kept me on for the entire year. So I was there for the MLS Cup year, but I was an intern. I was working for TFC2, TFC, working behind the scenes and my entire internship, I really just made it clear to my bosses that I wanted to be on, on air. I wanted to be a host. I wanted to do this. So I was doing unpaid content for TFC2. People probably weren't even watching it, but I was like, I'm gonna do this anyways. It's experience and, um, Fast forward after my internship was done, the positions had opened up and I applied and they had taken a risk on a 20 year old kid at the time. And now four years later, I'm still here. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a hell of an experience. I love it there. The team's amazing. The staff is amazing. And I, I couldn't ask for a better job. For sure. Did you, uh, were you a big TFC fan before? Yeah. Yeah. My dad is a, uh, a huge, huge football soccer fan. He like nice. instilled it into me and my sisters when you were kids. So when they opened up a team in Toronto, my dad was like, hell yeah, we're going to be fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a match made in heaven. You've obviously taken that and you've, you've gone with it. Um, Chef kind of touched on it a little bit and how your job sort of changed. How much do you miss being at BMO Field? Let's, let's get real. I mean, that, there's, it's second and none, right? I miss it more than anybody, anybody knows. I remember someone had asked me midway through, you know, the entire full quarantine. They were like, what do you miss the most? Like, are you going to be excited to go out with everyone and be with your friends? And I'm like, no, like, I just, I don't miss <laughs> feel what people feel. Like, I just want to be back there. I'm like, after <laughs> the games, like, I just, I, I love it. There's so much just being under the lights. Like, I miss it a lot. And the other day I was driving on the gardener and I was driving by it. And I was like, it's my second home. Like, I haven't been there in forever. <laughs> So I definitely do miss it, but hopefully we'll all be back soon and, and it'll, it'll resume. But 
yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. And I think they were they're mentioning that they're going to try and resume uh, the tournament or after the term, they're trying to resume the regular season. Um, I'll put you on the spot here here a little bit. What are the odds we see those those games? You know, come up to Toronto. <laughs> 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 I don't know how to answer that one. Honestly, with everything going on right now in the world, it's definitely a hard decision to make whether they resume it and they bring everything back to Toronto. I mean, I know Toronto's looking to be a hub for a lot of places, and it's just a matter of whether everything progresses in the next month or two mm-hmm. and whether everyone is still going to be happy about playing during a pandemic and you know the whole movement that's going on right now as well i just think that it's a it's a it's a big it's a big decision to make for sure there's a lot of variables that you know can transpire between now and then uh fingers crossed that we do get to see you know everyone back at a beano field <laughs> even the reds just back at beano field so um yeah no thanks for that i appreciate that we got a question from facebook maria how did you become a liverpool fan and how did you feel about the season <laughs> well, shout out to my dad once again. It was uh, it was all his doing. Uh, I remember growing up, my dad was always having Liverpool games on, always talking to us about it. My dad would tell me to watch their games when I played, and then I would he would tell me to go outside and try to do what they did. So I remember having to watch them, and I'd go outside and practice, and it was yeah. Um, but that's how I became a Liverpool fan. I fell in love with the team because my dad did, and um, what I thought about their season, I thought it was great. I mean. We won, so <laughs> told everybody. I was like, "Don't at me. We're gonna win this year, no matter what happens." And we did. So I was really happy about that. I think Klopp is the best, best coach, best manager out there, and uh, I think the team in general has just put themselves forward and has shown what they can do with with little. So the team is amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think anyone was happier that soccer was able to come back in the pandemic than Liverpool fans. You know? <laughs> Being able to actually see out that season and and that it wasn't canceled uh, certainly uh, certainly was exciting. But uh, yeah, I think Maria, we'll we'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining us. On Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, come on, you Reds, and we'll see you guys in the next game. All right, guys. Let's go. Good. Bye. See ya. Yeah. Thanks again for. Maria Papadakis for joining the show. Um, you know, some some cool insights there, I guess, into how she got where she is in in her career and and you know how things have, have massively changed um during this pandemic in terms of, you know, how video content and everything else is produced. So um yeah, we really we really appreciate having her on. And um but guys, let's let's move on here to, you know, going back to the the Toronto C D C match. We'll we'll start at the beginning. Um let's start with the first half here because you know, for, for 80 minutes, I, I really do think, and having watched most of the games of this tournament, this was probably the most cohesive team performance we've seen um, at the MLS's back tournament. Toronto FC looked great. A lot of their players delivered excellent performances. And, but you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk about the second half later, but for, for, for a lot of that game, it was, it was excellent, wasn't it, Jeff? Yeah, that whole right side was insane. I mean, Oro, Pablo, and uh, his new best friend, Paws, were just terrorizing. That right flank was with the combination play, the creativity for the first time back after four months and our first time seeing uh, Pablo Piatti uh, was, was really impressive. Really, really, really impressive. Uh, that was my, my, my big takeaway. Um, and then my whole other page of notes is about the second half. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think that's fair enough. 
Uh, Michael, no thoughts on uh, again. Well, we'll start with some. We'll start with a bit of positivity here before we get into what. what yeah, uh, the second. <laughs> <laughs> no, but straight up, like you said, name me a team so far this tournament that's had a better 80 minutes than Toronto FC did. I mean, you can maybe say Columbus, who won their opening match for nothing against, I think it was Cincinnati, but that's mm. like playing. Yeah, that, that's the that's the caveat. There it was a, it was against Cincinnati, right? It was like also playing, a derby. It was also the derby guys. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. There's that too, right? So I mean, Toronto FC realistically could have and probably should have won this match by either similar margin or you know something around there. So the first 80 minutes, I, I believe, was actually the best bit of football that we've seen. DC had nothing. It was like the second half, the game was the game was boring, and that's exactly how Toronto FC wanted to play it. They sucked the life out of that game. And, uh, yeah, like you said, we'll get into we'll get into those last 10 minutes in a bit, but those those first 80 minutes, it was fun to watch. They were moving the ball quickly. Michael Bradley looked great. He oh, my God. His feet. Did, yeah. um, I mean, can you believe that, that? I mean, it's been eight months since that last, the last time he – actually played a competitive match he's a workhorse on and yeah. off the field and that paid off for sure uh pause also looked fantastic pause was was he was <clears throat> he was in like mid-season form. <clears throat> best position there's that number 10 and you know he came off in the 76th minute so uh maybe that had something to do with this little second half collapse yeah 90 uh, i think it was like 90 seconds in that michael bradley hit just a peach of a pass right into Io Akinola's feet. And, you know, from, from that moment onwards, uh, you know, he was, he was arguably the best player on the pitch during that game. I think it was between him and pause for, mm-hmm. you know, who, who was the best. And I, I'd, you know, be happy either way, but one other pause that we have to get again, before we let Jeff loose um, <laughs> is, is uh, the performance of Io Akinola. We talked about it a little bit with Maria, but yeah. Um, you know, I think with, uh, again, with Josie Alcador, we're not, super sure how much he'll be available at least during the group stage of this tournament and beyond obviously we didn't see him at all in that first game um you know that was an excellent performance and and i think a really important performance what stood out to me and what's always stood out to me with io is his ability to make runs even if he's not the guy receiving the pass he makes runs that open up space for for other strikers and you know especially if you're looking for a second striker behind josie going forward having a guy like that that can come off the bench and and do that um, is it, so important, and it's something that, uh, quite frankly, Toronto has been missing for the for the past couple of years. So if Io can do that, um, you know, going forward, it, it would be massive for the club. I, I, we'll start with Michael with your your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess first of all, poor Patrick Mullins. Uh, yeah, he's kind of like a forgotten <laughs> forgotten soldier there. But um, I had Io Akinola. I did a little uh, top prospect kind of rankings there, and I had Io Akinola at number five. Um, but what I also mentioned was he asked, he had the potential to possibly skyrocket up this list at this point next season. And we saw it a, a bit when he started off last season. He actually started against New England last year in 2019. And if you guys haven't seen that goal, go look it up because he scored another sweet, sweet curler into the corner. Um, and then, you know, obviously the way he started this game with that that turn and the, the strike, he was able to connect on that and, I saw the other angle of the goal where uh, Bill Hamid, it was behind Bill Hamid's net, and he he just looked devastated. <laughs> he, he did not expect that to go in, and when it caught the corner, he looked he looked he looked heartbroken. <laughs> so it's it's good to see Io Akinola, um obviously kind of set up set up and kind of establish himself as a number nine. There were question marks around that, you know, heading in heading into the tournament whether or not he would be able to fill that role. Um, and as Mitch pointed out. 
thanks to his speed, thanks to his physicality, thanks to his hold-up play, thanks to his ability to you know run at defended, run behind the line. Uh, they're, they're making use of that, especially in a 4-2-3-1 formation. He missed a lot of chances, though. Uh-huh. I, you know what I mean? Like, his, he wasn't it – was, it was a very good performance, but it can't be ignored that had he buried a few more of those chances, perhaps the second half might have gone a bit better. So. I'll play a little devil's advocate here, though. Mm. You're getting those chances. Yeah, yeah, right? no, fair enough. Fair enough. And I think, yeah, he's a young striker. He's 20 years old. I'm sure he has to work on his finishing a little bit. But I think the toughest part to do is to get himself in those positions. And that is a very for fair a young point. striker, that, that, that's very, very good to see. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think, um, yeah, I think I think I side more with Michael on that in, in the sense that, yes, he did miss a lot of chances. But, you know, he was getting himself in, into – so many good positions throughout the game. And, and, you know, if you have guys like Piatti, Pozuelo, Bradley, uh, even Endo, who who I think again in this game showed that he can really pick a pass very well. Mm -hmm. um, You know, you're going to get those opportunities if you're making the right run. So he's, uh, he's done a good job of that so far. And obviously, as I said, it'll be critical going forward Um, for, for a young guy like him though. Now it's just about consistency. You know, we've seen a lot of young guys come through Toronto FC and, and have some great individual single game performances and then, you know, not be able to back them up. And we know how much Greg Vanny values um, consistency over just about everything in, in terms of his roster selection. So that's the next step for Iowa Canola. And, you know, speaking of consistency, um, <laughs> consistency over 90 minutes for, uh, for Toronto FC, obviously, um, you know, you, you start that match, it's two, nothing. The second half, again, they were, they were seeing it out quite comfortably. And then, um, of course, the the double center back substitutions and, and the two goals that follow. Um, yeah, Jeff, why don't why don't why don't we take a, a, it into the second page of your notes? You buy the <laughs> ticket. You buy the ticket. You take the ride. I mean, uh, Greg Vanny is, you know, a tactically minded coach. Uh, sometimes you get a spectacular misfire like what we experienced yesterday. I mean, uh, I don't own any books on football soccer coaching, but. I'm pretty sure on the back cover it says don't swap out your CVs in the six both CVs at the same time, regardless of, of what time it is, unless the world is ending. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, what was the game plan for the second half? Was it, was it, you know, trying to play 45 minutes of keep away? Because, you know, you saw Nick DeLeon come on, and I don't think I noticed a single one of his touches because he was kind of kneecapped, like – he was sort of hovering around the touchline. And then when he got it, you know, it, it, it was like his instinct was to, was to attack, but it was, it was sort of counter to whatever he'd been instructed. So you saw a lot of the front line kind of do that, that weird little dance in, in the middle of the field that, that to me just screamed that they were, they were trying to, to implement the, the game plan, but it went against their, their natural desires. At least to me, that's what it looked like. Yeah, um, I mean, you're facing a, a ten-man squad. You're up to nothing. I think uh, I'm not sure if it was Ollie who pointed this out on Twitter, but could you be put in a more favorable situation than that? Um, obviously, Mavinga and Gonzalez. That, that wasn't it. Wasn't the game plan for Greg Vanny to go in and change those guys? Those guys came down with cramps, um, and Greg Vanny said that I think Omar Gonzalez couldn't even walk, or he couldn't take another step. I think were his exact words. So his hands were sort of forced in sort of a substitution then. What I would like to question is that 76-minute substitution when he's taken off Pozuelo. Um, 
I'm, I, I can't even think off the top of my head who was brought in. Was it Gallardo? Though? I think Gallardo came in for Payati. Yeah. But it Maybe it was Deleon. It could have been Deleon. Yeah. But yeah. after Paz came out of the game, I mean, the life was already out of it, but TFC just had no kind of rhythm, no flow going forward, as I think, Jeff, you kind of pointed to it. They looked like they were trying to do something that they weren't comfortable with. Um, and by the end of the match, it looked like DC was the team who had a man up, and TFC mm-hmm. was kind of, you know, Mm-hmm. holding on for dear life uh really really frustrating and obviously eric zavaleta was right at the bullseye of everything and it's it's easy to point him as the scapegoat um i mean he didn't really do much to back it up but you've got to be better than that you got to do better than that that's just that that's just yeah as michael bradley said unacceptable after the game there's no really excuse you can't really point your finger at one person it's a team effort uh, there's a, there's a, is that Aki? Yeah, Aki sent a question in, and it sort of uh, relates this. And uh-huh. uh, As well as Bradley played in the first half, I think a lot of people are overlooking his turgid performance in the second half. He was largely responsible for slowing the tempo of the game down to a walking pace and didn't pick his spots to speed the game up in the middle to deal the third and killer goal to DC. Uh, I'm going to add something in there. I think Bradley has is, is, is got to shoulder a bit of the responsibility for the second goal. Um, you know, as much as we as we all want to pin the donkey on Zavaleta, uh, you know, I, I, I think there was a, a, a serious lack of communication there. And considering, uh, you know, how well we can hear Q yell keeper at the top of his lungs whenever he wants to claim a shot, which was something I really enjoyed from from the, the first game of the tournament. Uh, you know, we got to we got to we got to put uh, we got to give uh, um, uh, responsibility where it lays. And, yeah, uh, I, I agree with point. that, Jeff. I mean, he's your captain. If you see that your team is kind of falling out of the battle and, and you know, they look kind of lifeless out there, it's your job to sort of ignite them. Obviously, I mean, it's, we're sitting inside in our air conditioning in Toronto or whatever, and we're, we're sipping on a nice cold beverage, and these guys are out there in the hot Florida sun, which they didn't want to be in the first place at, at this time of the day. So maybe that played a factor into it, especially with, you know, Gonzalez and Mavinga cramping up and maybe that's why TFC looked a little bit tired uh, as the first game back in four months <laughs> let's not remember let's not forget that so mm-hmm. I do agree that Blatt Bradley does shoulder uh, the responsibility there because he is the captain and at the end of the day that that it's your job to motivate your team and if you can't do that then you know yeah I guess uh, I guess kind of building off that um, you know I, I actually don't think slowing the tempo down was the dumbest thing they did. Um, Mm -hmm. You would like to see them really push for that third goal, but I think there was a way to do that while still playing, you know, the possession based, let the ball do the work kind of style that they want to play at this tournament. Because again, you know, you can go as hard as you can in that first game, but you don't want injuries. You don't want to burn guys out in the first game. And um, I, I do actually think that in some ways that was the right decision. Now, obviously, um, you know, maybe they got the mentality wrong with that, but, you know, uh, on Michael Bradley, um, and again, this, this leads into the Montreal game as well. Yes, I do believe he can play 90 minutes against Montreal. Yes, I believe he could have played 90 minutes yesterday. How smart is that? At, at some point, you know, he, he can, but he did look tired late in that game. And he, I think he's going to look tired if he plays Montreal as well. You know, he's, he is getting older and he can still give you a good 90 minutes, but you know, I think he can give you a great 75 and then maybe you can replace him. 
Um, you know, I, th I think there, there does seem to be a, a real reluctance to take Michael Bradley off the field. I know he's your captain. I know probably of anyone he can play the most soccer and he always has, but uh, I, I wonder if, you know, going forward, Greg Vanny needs to, needs to look at that and, and recognize that, you know, even if Michael really doesn't want to, maybe at some point he should be coming off the field. Yeah, for what it's worth, Vanny did address that after the game. Um, he said that, again, it wasn't his game plan to, you know, perhaps have Bradley play the 90 minutes. But in consultation with Bradley, uh, you know, asking him how he's doing and checking up in the water breaks, um, and with the work that Bradley put in the offseason, I mean, Vanny was a witness to it. Uh, he said that Bradley was the first there and the last to leave always. Um, he was comfortable with Bradley going the full 90. Uh are you going to tell Michael Bradley that he's not playing a full 90 against Montreal? <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> the thing is though, like you, like it doesn't really matter the player, right? Like you need to be able to, it's like, like no player is above the group, right? Like you need to be able to tell a player that he has to sit again. I, I'm not, I would not personally want to do that <laughs> job, but nonetheless, like, like, you know, um, again, it has to, has to be smart and of course they have the sports science guys who mm -hmm. who figure all of this out and, and that sort of thing but um yeah I, it's just one thing that that i thought about uh jeff you have a point uh out. yeah i mean martin dropped uh dropped a lot of really depressing stats martin bailey friend of uh, uh <laughs> the, our our stats guy not friend of he's ours um and uh, i don't remember what the stat was but uh you know there was a lot of talk uh in the post game pressers from uh from mb4 and vanny uh sort of discounting that this blowing leads is is endemic is an endemic problem in tfc and i forget the number uh but what was it in in club history it was something i want to say it was 49 49 okay so for, yeah 49 times in club history this has happened um what are our thoughts on that? Do we think that they're right and it isn't endemic or do we think that this was a a bit of bait and switch to keep morale up in the in you know inside the bubble sort of thing because the the stats don't lie uh, and and uh, they hurt. Actually, I think the stats do lie a little bit. If you look awesome. back and those forty nine those forty nine times, if we look back and we look at when those forty nine times transpired, I don't have the I don't have it in front of me, but I believe that maybe maybe five times were within the last three four years, right? So, you know, 44 of those times are, are pre-20, pre-Sebastian Javinko era, essentially. Um, so I think that it's a little unfair to kind of label them as that team that kind of gives up late leads, especially as Michael Bradley pointed out. They did do it twice this season, but it was a fourth-month gap in between times, right? It was San, San Jose, February 29th, and uh, July why they moved it so many times july 12th 13 yeah, july, yeah. <laughs> july 13th against uh dc united so yeah i mean it's not great to see the team blow two out of the three leads so far this season but i i think it's unfair to kind of label that as as a reoccurring kind of theme yeah that's a fair point with with tfc stats i mean you've got you've always got to go post uh, you know, 20, <laughs> right? Because you still, you look, you look at the all-time series, even against NYCFC, who we just owned for the past two years. Uh, well, NYFC started in 2015, so that's not good. But you look at like Chicago Fire, and we still lost like a thousand percent to them uh, by, vir by virtue of 2017, uh, 27, 2007 to 2015. Mm -hmm. I, third time's the chunk. Yeah, no, for sure. Those are, those are a wipe off. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, we have a Facebook question here from Edwin. Uh, isn't it highly risky move to sub out both center backs in any game? Uh, I'll I'll take that just because. So Greg Greg Vanny knows this more than anybody. This 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 was a center back. Uh, he he played center back I think for for the like, internationally. He was he's in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. I think he got inducted this year or nominated to be inducted this year. Uh, so he knows more than anybody how important it is to finish out a game with you know the same sort of center backs whether it's uh Maving and gonzalez or whoever it is that starts the game the only reason why he did again sub out these center backs is because they came to him and told him they're cramping up it's not he doesn't he doesn't want to change that fluidity in the back line so i think it's it's unfair to again point fingers at vanny because his hand was sort of forced could he i saw someone on twitter mention this could he have maybe dropped michael bradley back and only brought in lawrence sima like that that's that's great. I mean, I'm I'm all for that. But really, MB at MB at CB, we we saw that in 2018, and I still, <laughs> I still have scars. But yeah? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's 2018. But <laughs> Zavaleta is an MLS Cup winner. Lawrence Simon, we know what he's done in his career. So these guys should be able to finish at a match with you know 10 men, they're mm-hmm. a man up and a two nothing lead. That, that's still no excuse. Yeah, I have a couple more points on this, um, but I think you covered it fairly well. But, uh, you know, I think, again, Gonzalez and Mavinga should be comfortable coming off in that situation, feeling that they've done the work they need to do to to get that result. Mm -hmm. And also, I've been thinking about why he didn't stagger his center backs coming off, uh, but I kind of forgot about the, the windows, right? Like, you only have so many windows to make substitutions in, so... You could get yourself in big trouble if if one of again you said uh, they they said Gonzalez couldn't really walk if Mavinga gets kind of hurt in that time then then you're you know largely down a man until the next window you kind of have your hand forced like that so again I don't think it was an ideal situation but um, I don't know if you know if Benny really had as much of a choice as we initially thought he did mm-hmm. because again when the second he made those substitutions I think just about everyone was like what is he doing <laughs> ever. You never want to destabilize a back line like that. But uh, I think we should start looking ahead to, to the the next game, of course, mm-hmm. against Montreal Impact on Thursday night uh, because we do have a couple of, of questions on this, um, both on the chat here and in Q&A. Uh, let's start with Jordan's question, which is for the TFC Impact match. What changes do you make to the lineup? If any, um, does Pozuelo have to play the entire match? Uh, I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll step in here. I'll take that. Um, so yeah, you're, you're going to see, in my opinion, you're going to see a flurry of changes. Uh, first, we don't know the status of Chris Mavinga. We don't know the status of Omar Gonzalez. Another thing I, I didn't mention yet was also the status of Justin Morrow, who uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it was Achilles tendonitis was the word that they used. Mm-hmm. And that's why he came off at halftime. It wasn't because, you know, super sub Richie was, was ready to go as much as <laughs> you know, some fans love to see that. It was because Justin Morrow came out with an aching injury. So that's three out of the four black line. That's question marks. I, I dropped an article today and uh, Chris, or sorry, uh, Greg Vanny spoke about Jonathan Azorio and Jersey Alter. They gave us an update on that. So just reading into his words, you can find all of it on, on the Wake and the Red website, but just reading his into his words, I don't think we're going to see either of those players against Montreal. Um, so we're going to be looking at a lot of depth options. Also, Ayo Akinola, he took a little bit of a knock there towards the end of the match. So we'll see on, uh, an update on his status. Hopefully he'll be all right to start the game. But, you know, we'll, we'll see some squad rotation. TFC's depth is really going to be tested here against Montreal, in my opinion. 
Yeah, certainly. And I think you, you of course, have to look forward. You know, if you think you have Josie for that last match, if you think you have Oso for that last match, then maybe you start some of the guys um, like a Delgado or, you know, an Io again, just knowing that you'll have the opportunity to rest them in that third game. Jeff, uh, any points on, on lineup going forward? Well, I just, I mean, the impact always come out against us, right? They're as desperate for, well, possibly even more desperate for a win than we are. Um, you know, TD's not going to play Sammy P at right wing back again. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be a 401 Derby because the other term, what is it? Canadian classique is awful. And yeah. I'm never using it. Um, so yeah, my, my thoughts on that uh, is it's a 401 Derby. It's going to, it's going to be lit. And uh, you know, hopefully uh, we, we take, you know, we take our licks from, from round one and we come back a bit, a bit, uh, a bit more tuned into the pecu- the peculiarities of, of this uh, uh, MLS is back uh, Mickey Mouse Cup. One more thing I want to add before we move on from sure. that is Greg Vaney, even though it is Montreal, even though it is a 4-1 derby, he's not afraid to rest his side against Montreal in an important match. If we just have to think back to last season, the Canadian Championship final, uh, the first leg against Montreal, they, they put out essentially their B team there. And, you know, they came away with a one nothing loss, which kind of set up uh, an uphill climb for the penal- or for the second leg at BMO Field, which we all know they lost in penalties. So, I mean, just because they are facing Montreal, don't expect Toronto FC to go all for it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's a fair point. Um, let's finish up with the last question we got, which, again, has to do with the Montreal game, which is what are your guys' thoughts on Montreal? Uh, did anyone stand out from their game against New England who might cause us problems? Um, and the, the player he mentions is Wanyama, who I thought actually was was quite excellent in the middle of the field. But, um, you know, going forward, I mean, it did not look great for Montreal. They did not have a lot of chances, I think. Um, you know, they had they had that one chance uh, where you really missed. But other than that, it, it wasn't great for them going forward. So, um, anyone stand out to you guys? E.T., he's got a player manager. <laughs> Seriously, just lace up, lace up and, and raise hell. Um, you, can, you can sort of tell that he was itching to do it near the end of the, of the first game. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I have general thoughts on the tournament. I've really been enjoying the case of the, of the changing Adidas logo size in the, in the <laughs> middle. You know, it's, it's like they've got a constant focus group. Sometimes it changes mid-game. Uh, the, you know, the... the the minutia of the tournaments, uh, I mean, that opening uh, the, that Justin Morrow had a, a, and Ali Curtis had a big had a big thing to do with in, in his planning was uh, was truly unbelievable. And then and then to have a player of the statue, the stature of uh, Thierry Henry uh, take a knee for for eight minutes and change, um, you know, again, like, you know, we, we can we can we can say, oh, it's exhausting because we've seen it in the Bundesliga. and We've seen it in the Prem. And but, but this is ground zero. You know, so so MLS had a responsibility uh, to do it, and they also had, uh, 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 you know, the negative aspect of, of not getting to do it first. So so to come up with something that that didn't feel overdone, but also felt uh, uh, specific to the to the tournament, I think was a massive massive coup. So my hats off to those guys. Um, and yeah, just the 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 technical side of it is 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 massively entertaining i mean which which network is getting better at uh, at dropping the swearing and, and not and not you know plugging us into a hot mic in the control room by accident uh 
you know, uh, uh, when a player approaches the net, is he or is he not going to be eclipsed by one of those weirdo black digi boxes that they've got his goal line has and just <laughs> disappear into the phantom zone. These are the things that, that I enjoy. Um, uh, last night's, last night's uh, LA Houston game was pretty fabulous also. That was a really good game. Oh yeah, I could talk for days about that one, but yeah. just getting getting back to the Montreal. Great preview of the Montreal game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, go ahead. I'm here for no, the chaos, but, guys. Yeah, you just got a, a quick thirty second insight into what's Jeff's brains like. So <laughs> jumping out left, right, center. Um, <laughs> no, but but all seriousness, I'm happy you did bring up that Tyrion re moment, Jeff, because that that was really really powerful. Um, I think and the next morning I woke up and checked the views. I think it was at like 600,000 views. People mm-hmm. watched that. Um, this isn't just another, another person taking a knee. It, it, exactly. this is, this is, it really sent a message in for eight minutes and 46 seconds that that was really, really well done. And um, he said he kept it simple after the post game when he was asked, he was just like, yeah, it's just a paid tribute. That's it. And I think because I think his his actions spoke louder than words there at that moment, and that was really cool to see. Um, getting back to the Montreal game, I'm I'm all for this Wanyama Bradley matchup in the midfield. It's gonna be yeah. so gritty. It is gonna be such a such a such a grind there in the midfield. I mean, who's gonna come away with with a fifty fifty ball between Michael Bradley and Victor Wanyama? Come on, <laughs> come on! I'm all for that side. Yeah. Of that. yeah, um, yeah. What I will say is, yeah, again, Montreal's attack's a little bit disappointing. Uh, Balou Tabla, a young Canadian there, former Barcelona product, uh, he plays for Montreal now, and it, he hasn't hasn't put it together yet. I think if he kind of finds a way to, to get more minutes on this squad and puts it together, uh, they can maybe have another option there up front. But it's it's really, really lacking post-Piatti era. Yeah. He's bulked up, hasn't he, Balu? He looks he looks like he's put on quite a bit mm-hmm. of muscle. Yeah. He is still yeah. only twenty one, yeah. So yeah. there's actually, room to go. I actually did think, uh, in terms of Montreal attackers, you know, he came on late in that game. I actually thought he was probably one of the most positive ones. I mean, mm-hmm. he was beating guys off the dribble, he put in some great crosses and he almost scored at the end with a pretty nice yeah, yeah, that strike was, that he created that on nice his own. Strike, so yeah. um, as far as we've seen Balu since he came back from from Barcelona, that was probably the best I've seen him, and, and we know he does have the talent. I mean, you know, Barcelona doesn't just <laughs> yeah, pick seriously. up random yeah, guys yeah, yeah, off yeah, the, exactly. uh, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, this, you know, he's he's definitely still an excellent player. And, you know, as far as the Canadian men's national team goes, that'll be one of the guys that certainly everyone will be watching. It's not an easy position to break into the national team with right now, considering some of the guys he has ahead of him. But what I think Luke definitely yeah. has the uh, – has the talent to do so. So, um, yeah, definitely we'll be looking forward to, to Thursday's match. And um, I think we'll, we'll wrap the show up there. Of course, um, we have another show coming up here on Footy Talks with Footy Talks Weekly at 3 o'clock. Christian Jack, Stephen Caldwell, Luke Wildman, and a special guest, Io Akinola. So you'll definitely <laughs> want to uh, be in the homestand audience for that. However, homestandsports.com right now to secure your Zoom audience spot. Ask Io some questions. Um, you know, as we said, a player that's going to be very critical to Toronto FC at this tournament and and even going forward, if he can keep up performances like this. But thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, as always, Kevin um, and uh, Maria Papadakis for joining us as well. And see you next Tuesday, everyone. <laughs>